everyone, and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street. A monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on all of the usual socials or subscribe to our Patreon for bonus content and merch. You can find all of that by visiting us at allmylinks.com backslash A Nightmare on Fear Street or in our episode descriptions wherever you're listening to this podcast at. We are covering Invasion of the Body Snatchers from the 70s, not in any of the other versions of this movie that are out there. <laughs> Look, we're covering Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Gina Radcliffe. Welcome, Gina. Hello. Thank you for joining us as we continue our trip through the 70s. Why didn't we just call this the Back to the Future? Where was that in? We've had so many things for this <laughs> month. I would remember Back to the Future. We've gone Back to the Future. <laughs> I would have remembered it, and we would have consistency. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, but before we get into this movie, uh, we, we got to get to know Gina a little bit, because it's our first time on the pod. So, we start here with everyone, Gina. Number one, what is your favorite scary movie? Uh, probably, my, my fallback answer for that is always American World in London. I've talked on multiple podcasts about it. I've written about it. I, I think I'm pretty satisfied in saying that's my favorite. Good choice. Solid choice. So is are werewolves your favorite subgenre, or do you have another one? Not generally. I'm actually a really big fan of folk horror. So like Midsummer, Wicker Man, things like that. That's probably my amongst my favorite. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I love me some Midsummer. What is your horror origin story? What got you into all this insanity that we all love so much? Well, when I was growing up, I had parents who really did not monitor a lot of what I what I watched and read. So, you know, typically I started reading Stephen King at a probably much too young age. I remember being a little kid and catching Salem's Lot on television and being really scared by some of the the, the, uh, the visuals in it, but also like, okay, this is kind of cool. Like, I mean, obviously I kind of enjoyed the feeling of being scared, but also I was a really anxious child. So it was a, it was an interesting, you know, sort of controlled scaring, if that makes any sense. Like, you know, I I could turn this off if I wanted to and, Mm. and not have to be scared anymore. And seeing that it kind of gave me some level of feeling like I, I could stay better on top of these things. Not as much as I would like to sometimes, but you know, it's better than having, you know, no control over it at all. Right, right. Yeah. We're saying, I, I, you know, I don't know about you, Trey, but in our some odd years of doing this podcast, I'm sensing a trend <laughs> of our horror origin stories of interesting parents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not that I, I mean, parents and I all, I love, I say, go for it. Yeah. But, you know, they, they're either always too strict or too, uh, yeah. too permissive. And, yeah. oh, it's, it's, it's always exactly one or the other, never anything in between. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I'm totally with you about being a, I'm okay with horror that I can like pause, I can stop, the movie will be over. I don't see, people get so confused when I say that I love horror films, but I will never go into like a haunted house situation. No. The minute that shit starts happening to me, people will get hit or ran <laughs> over or something's going to happen. My fight or flight <laughs> instincts come up way too quick. It's yeah, I, I I do I do enjoy them like the like the like the lights cheesy ones, but I'm also the kind of person that people will always like come up to, and like you know try to make scream. I guess I just look like that type of person. <laughs> I don't know why. So yeah, I, I totally get that. I like I like walk through like you know like my back against the wall, so I don't like see anything coming and nothing can jump out at me or anything like that. But yeah, I I, I get that. <laughs> yes and even if like if i'm in my house and you scare me you might get my little brother got slapped in the face one time and he jumped out from behind the door and i went pop and i'm like well you did it to yourself <laughs> yeah I, I can't i can't get i i wouldn't think one one cliche that i really dislike especially as we go into slasher movies when you have the the character that's always jumping out at people or scaring them or or pretending to to be dead or whatever and i'm like why is these this person getting their ass kicked on a regular basis right? and everybody just like it's like oh that's just him he just plays jokes he's a jokester and it's like right. no, no. <laughs> jokesters get hit exactly <laughs> exactly punch straight in the face they mess around and find out you know like <laughs> 
Uh, but awesome. Uh, do you have any projects you would like to plug for our listeners? Uh, Shrine up on each other because through my podcast, Kill by Kill, which I co-host with Patrick Hamilton, uh-huh. uh, we've been doing that going on uh, six and a half glorious years. We yeah. talk about horror movies, focusing on the characters. We originally started just with slasher movies. We did all the Friday 13th movies. Uh, all That's the an endeavor. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. It absolutely is. Uh, I need a hiatus. After- <laughs> yeah, I need a break. We also did all the Nightmare and Elm Street movies, which, which is a little, a little bit easier because the the ratio of number of movies to actually good movies in that series is much better. Uh, now we've kind of expanded beyond slasher movies. Like we've done, we've covered some of the alien movies. We also do pretty much everything on Patreon. Our, our Patreon, we've done like old TV shows, cover an episode of the old HBO uh, erotic horror series, The Hitchhiker. So we just kind of do everything at this point. I also write about movies and television, not always horror, but generally at uh, thespool.net, which is a pop culture website. And I, I do, I have a sub stack and, you know, generally do writing elsewhere. That's about it. Awesome. Right. Awesome. Love it. I, I, everyone needs to listen to the podcast because it's a ton of fun. And I, you know, anyone that goes through the entire Friday the 13th series deserves uh, accolades there just for that alone it, like, it was rough it was rough there's like 50 of them and i would yeah. maybe five of them are good yeah oh i thank you for thank you for agreeing with that i think some of our listeners thought that i'm a little too hard on a lot of them but i'm like no a lot of these are really bad <laughs> a lot of people have nostalgia glasses I mean, to oh yeah it's, and look at exactly the exactly yes, yes. yes. but yeah Oh, Jason, we all love to hate him, though. You know? <laughs> He's my only hockey player I know. Like- <laughs> I mean, that's fair. <laughs> so plug any socials that you would like the uh, listeners to follow you on and or your podcast or any websites for your writing and stuff like that. Um, let's say this, the podcast is Killed by Kill. We have new episodes every Friday. And I write for thespool.net. And I am on Twitter far 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 too often under gina does things that's g-e-n-a all right y'all let's get into this wild ass movie because <laughs> whoo okay gina what's one of your first thoughts oh i love it it's it's i probably one of my favorite horror movies in the 70s i try to watch it, it it's not a halloween type horror movie if that makes any sense mm-hmm. but because it's got a lot of sci-fi elements to it but mm-hmm. i do try i do tend to watch it around this time every year and and i just i i i don't like to use the word flawless but it's pretty close to flawless for me yeah, yeah there, i only have one complaint which i'll get to later but yeah overall it's just it's it's such a fun ride and it's this is this is one of the paranormal horror films that are that are, is right up my alley. I I thought the characters are all super well defined. I thought that there's a lot of fun comedy in there as well, so it keeps it less from being feeling like always such a kind of downer. But it's 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 got everything. It's got horror. It's got sci-fi. It's got romance. It's got action. It's got I, yeah, I think it's it's nearly a flawless movie for me as well. This is one of the few remakes I'm not mad about. And like, obviously this keeps getting retold in different forms and ways. Cause there was another remake in 2007 with Nicole Kidman I've not seen. And we've all seen the faculty. So we know it works in a different setting. So like, I, I, I think that, <laughs> right. It's a great story and like, it keeps being redone. But I think that this is, this is by far one of the better versions I've seen. And I like the original, like me and Jazz watched the original this year, last year, and then watched this one, which I hadn't seen since I was like a kid. And like, both were a good time. And if you're going to remake something, it should be its own thing, but also be a good time. And people forget that when they remake stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and finally, we have a horror film that honestly, Makes plants kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> little shop, little shop of horror. <laughs> that original ending of that movie, though, the original ending for the musical version, I should say, not the one with Jack Nicholson, because I've not seen all of that one all the way through, but I have seen the original version for the musical, and the plants win, and it's a better ending. Oh yeah, it like eats the, it like just like to like giant proportions, and like eats the, it like destroys the entire city. 
It's great. And you know what? We would have been better off because I'm sitting here in 2022 <laughs> and the plants have not taken over. Yeah. <laughs> we, we deserve that so much. Just have the plants eat us all and start again. Right? Right. But so one of the things that was the most striking to me in this film, especially from the jump, is just how interesting some of the cinematography is. Especially like the two scenes that I specifically wrote down, but there's more is uh, the scene at the very beginning when the wife brings home the flower and she's planted it. And you're watching this scene through the reflection of their glass door, which is such an interesting way to watch action of a film happen. And then at one point you see like through the peephole of a door and like you get that weird kind of dysmorphic body image of the character outside the door. The scenes where after his window, his windshield gets cracked and you're seeing like the world through as he's driving you're seeing the world through this like shattered image i just i I thought there was some really fun imagery and cinematography happening in this movie i'm happy you picked those last two the peephole and the um mirror i'm not mirror but window because like one of my notes is it feels claustrophobic and it's hard to explain and i think part of that is the way that it is shot and the weird angles and the tight spaces because like there's not a lot of long shots. There's not a lot of like, let's get a whole group in this. It's mostly like close-ups and it's like weird corners or like half in shadow and very close to like Donald Sutherland. And you're just like, it feels, I just want to take two steps back the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think with the the third thing you mentioned with the shattered windshield is that whole scene is very sinister because uh, it does take place close to the beginning of the movie. He's like an inspector for the Department of Health and he gives a, a restaurant a poor rating for the high dude because there's like rat feces found in like in like the food. It's a cape bear. Um, for the longest time I had no idea what a caper was. I only I'd only heard what a caper was through this movie. And I'm like, oh okay, that's like this little pellet that you put in food to like season it up. I don't I don't know if I've actually ever eaten anything with a caper in it, but I guess it looks like I guess it looks like rat poop. I don't know. But uh but he like he <laughs> You know, he goes out and gives this, you know, the chef a bad rate. The chef argues with him. He leaves. And, like, other restaurant employees have vandalized his car. They've thrown something at it. There's, like, the windshield shattered. It looks like maybe, like, they threw a pot of soup at it or something. It's just, like... I think they threw a bottle at it, like a wine bottle. Yeah, you can barely see through it. He just looks mildly perturbed at this. Like, <laughs> and, and, like they're just sort of staring at him, but with, like, no expression. And there's a, quite a few times when this happens before things really start going down. Like, one of the points that I mentioned was there's a shot of a priest riding a, like a, a playground swing. Mm-hmm. And again, it's very bizarre because he just has no expression on his face. I was like, is he possessed already? Is this right. And when, you, and when you look back, it's like, okay, <laughs> has this already been happening at this point? And and but like even Donald Sutherland, he's just like, well, must be Tuesday, and just you know, kind of, <laughs> you know, gets in his car, just drives away. You know, like like this has happened to him before. And right. it's like, it's a New okay. York attitude, like right. I don't know if it's in New York, but it's very New York to be like, mm. right? Yeah. He's, just I, like, I, he's like, well, that you know, all right, this is just a thing that's happened. Got to go get right. my windshield fixed. I got total um, San Francisco vibes because it, 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 it is it is it is San Francisco. Like, oh, look yeah. at me go. Yeah, I thought another thing this movie does really well is they utilize bodies, the human, like people, because like, so in the the beginning, when she's in the like park and she sees the flower or whatever, there's people around her, but it doesn't feel, like Trey said earlier, it doesn't feel claustrophobic because they're kind of open and they're, they're not really in any kind of formation. They're just kind of like out there. But as this movie continues and we get the idea of more and more people are getting body snatched or body possessed, they're not really possessed, they're like they're replaced, I replaced, think. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And more and more times you're seeing these people in the periphery or like in the background that just start like standing there mm-hmm. and watching them happen. Like the first one I remember is when they're in when she's in the I guess it's like the state building. It's where she works, but not in her office yet. They're like walking down a hall. And there's just this man standing behind a window watching them pass by. And I was like, 
<laughs> what? It's, so it's, it's so creepy. And then there's like the the janitor at one point is just standing there. And that's when I told when I saw the janitor, I was like, oh, this is some this is the faculty vibes right here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I yeah, like, and I thought the acting was so well done between when they are human and when they are their other selves. Yeah. Because like it, it was in, like even because like it would be really easy to play their body snatched selves as brainless or not motivated, you know, like robots essentially. But they all have intention. Like even when they're, it's it's like groupthink. They become like ants, mm-hmm. worker ants or worker bees, maybe maybe a better uh, better analogy. But like they they still have intention and motivation. So there's something drive driving them forward. And I just thought that their, their use of the human body, not only in like placement and as it builds throughout, it was just superb. And then the acting, of course, as well. Like you were, we were just talking about the scene where his window gets broken. There's two men standing there watching him, just like being real creeps. And then he pulls out and then like he's watching. It's, it, it's very, very good. One of my notes, because I am always a cast hoe, um, is that this cast is stacked. Like you have Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Zaddy Jeff Goldblum, Veronica oh, um, Cartwright, even like the guy who just like ran off to the car to be like, you're coming to get us and run off is like Kevin McCarthy and Leonard Nimoy. Like, how do you collect all these people to come play tag with you <laughs> for this movie, basically? Could we talk about the Jeff Goldblum could get it at any age? Listen. Like- He's sexy all the time. (laughs) He's definitely something right here, right now. And let me tell you, I will throw it all away tonight. He can still be. Now, I do recall hearing something problematic about him in the past, but I don't, I I hope I'm wrong. He's some wild shit on RuPaul's Drag Race. So we all saw it. I mean, I think think it said, you know, the typical he's married to someone quite a bit younger than him. But, you know, I mean, you're, you're. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, whether or not that bothers you, it depends, you know, I mean, when I say younger than him, I think, you know, he's like 70 and she's 40, so I mean, it's, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. If she was like 20, then I'd be like, hmm, Leo. Right. Um, (laughs) Right. I mean, he can still get it, so I don't know. Again, I would throw it all away tonight, and then I would, like, watch that clip and be like, what have I done? I would be (laughs) playing on Drag Race being like, ah! And here yeah. we are now, and it's like somewhere back in my brain, and then I'm like, oh no, I was horrified, and I still am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyways, he's sexy. All, all the guys in this movie were pretty sexy. Like, her husband was sexy. I was like, I, I mean, understand why she's married to him. I don't, I, I thought we spent up looking at Donald Sutherland as a grandpa, so I can't say he could get it. But his son, Kiefer, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, Donald Sutherland like was the guy in the seventies. Like him and Elliot Gould were just like the like the ultimate like mustache like like right. sensitive guy role, like the intellectual. <laughs> he's an attractive grandfather, but I just always because I watched so many genre movies, and like he's one of my notes is he's also in the Puppet Master, which as a kid I got mixed up because I was a kid, and there are similar movies. Even though Puppet Master, the novel came out like five years before Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which was just the Body Snatchers, I think. Um, but like I got them mixed up because as a kid I saw them both and he was in both and so I couldn't tell you for the life of me which was which for most of like my kindergarten <laughs> first grade. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you something that I I'm glad you pointed out the actor that plays Brooke Adams' husband. I, I think he's an actor named Art Hindle. I I don't know how intentional this is, but he sort of almost has like a Ken doll look about him. Yep. Like he's he's very perfect looking. Like he's got yes. he's very neat. He's got the very kind of you know almost like you know, wave waved hair. And yep. so when he does, he's the first character who first significant character who undergoes this change that is that is mm. noticeable to someone else. And I think him having this almost like doll like sort of you know appearance makes that all the more creepy. Right. And I mean, I've just come to the realization that my aesthetic is from the 1970s, and maybe I need to find a time machine and go back to the 1970s. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing Fashions come back in all the time, Trent. Just wait around five months. <laughs> Get you a disco daddy by December. <laughs> I will say, and so a line that Donald Sutherland had. That I was just like, I get it's the 70s. I get it. But from a 2022 standpoint, I just had to laugh when they're taught when she first comes up to him, and she's like, my. 
my husband's acting weird, whatever his name is, Dave or something. Jeff, Jeff, yeah. Uh, and he says, she's like, Jeff's acting so weird. He's not himself, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, we'll go talk to someone and we'll figure out whether Jeff is cheating or become gay <laughs> or or become a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> or has some sort of social disease. And I was like, um, I was like, oh, I... How long were her and her boyfriend together before, like, she wakes up, he's staring at her, and she's like, this is weird. Oh. <laughs> uh, just, like, being become gay or become a Republican. Because, you know, you never know. Because we both. <laughs> some people wake up and choose happiness, some choose violence. And you don't, you don't know unless you're there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that line is something else, though. I, I think that I did love that because he was like a Ken doll, like you said. And so like, he was like the generic dudes were already like, she's gonna run off with Donald Sutherland if they live, which I mean, nobody lives in these movies. <laughs> well, no, no. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, I would also leave him. Uh, cause like, she just seemed unhappy and she was wearing like the old lady house coat, which was weird. Cause she's not an old lady. Like Elizabeth, who again is played by Brooke Adams. Yes, Brooke Adams. But like she's she's a typical 30-something girl in the 70s. Like she's living life, she's got her job, she has the man she's flirting with outside of this boyfriend because you never know when you gotta upgrade. And <laughs> she's she's doing things, but like she's like covered. And I'm like, if was it cold on set? Was she uncomfortable on set? I don't know. Because <laughs> normally I'm a like t-shirt or you know, something I can move in. And she was like, No, it's the 1800s and I might have <laughs> consumption. Well. She was covered until she got body switched, and then she was like titties out in this PG movie. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, that's what, that, that remains startling. That that, that this movie is PG at all is startling because I know one of you mentioned that the uh, the birthing scene is, is oh it's so gross. It's, to be yeah, fair, though, it's, it's to, really goopy. To be fair though, all the nips are covered because I was like, "What is on these nipples? What is on these nipples?" And I was like, "None of it comfortable." Because I'm staring at people's nipples because I noticed that they're covered. <laughs> <laughs> And so that was yeah. the cheat back then. Yeah, I'm wondering now, like, if it's supposed to be like some sort of like they don't have nipples, they don't have belly buttons, like, like you know, yeah, like they're just you know, kind of a, like you know, the shapes are there, but not the details. Like a right. Kindle. Yeah, we didn't see that much, unfortunately. But a little bit. They do, they do, appear, they do appear to have butts though. So I don't, do. maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's kind of a partial well, thing. I don't know. And we do see, especially with the one in the bathhouse, which. <laughs> 1970s San Francisco. Of course, you have a bathhouse. Um, I a bathhouse run by a straight couple. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, there was that um, gay porn shop that was ran by a straight uh, couple for like years. That's true. They, they, they did a whole thing on Netflix about that. Yeah, yeah I love that documentary. But yeah, so hey, straight people can own gay porn. T- Listen, listen. A good investment is a good investment. Like, <laughs> know your know your audience and go forward. <laughs> but I, yeah, that. But though you do see him, the one that's going to be Jeff Bloom's or Jeff Goldblum's <laughs> character, uh, not, not Bloom. Ooh, uh, sorry, Jeff. Anyway, um, his and you see that his like where his crotch is at is very much like a Ken doll. Like there's a little hump. But there ain't nothing unless it's going to develop later. I don't know. Maybe he could be a grower, not a shower. That's his right. Like <laughs> <laughs> that was the kind of, like he went from like absolutely nothing to like boop there. It is. <laughs> right, it's like it's time to make alien babies the old fashioned way. <laughs> I could also just the flowers not being, doing their job yet. I could also just see that being like Jeff Goldblum because this was like maybe four years into his film career, if I'm not mistaken. I'm bad at math. But I could see him being like, you know, I'm not gonna do it. share my junk today. And they were like, it's gonna be PG 13 anyway. So we just wanted to see it. Go on. What? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. but that birth scene when he's asleep, when Donald Sutherland's asleep and the moss is growing on him, is the mo- one of the most disgusting things we've watched this month for this for the no- for the regular podcast. It was disgusting. Those alien, those alien flower melon things <laughs> looked like that looked like 
straight up out of uh you know they look like to me remember a spongebob episode where they go to the jellyfishing convention and, <laughs> and, and he meets kevin the like the superstar jellyfisher they look like kevin they look like the like yes. like sea cucumbers like a little like blossom oh, like, sticking out of them. yes that is a good yes i agree with that 100 percent it just made me miss Practicals because the Practicals in this movie are phenomenal. They are They're excellent. They are super so good. 70s, but still great. And I would easily like watch more of these being made today. I'd be like, yeah, make those flowers hatch. <laughs> yeah, get them with that moss. Well, it's like, such you, a it's such a whole visceral thing because like they're making they're making this. What do you mention in your notes? There's like a, like a heart beating noise, yes. and, and and there's some sort of like a almost like a breathing sound, but mm-hmm. but it's not like a human breathing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're like they're shaking and like and, and it's and they're they're just covered in goop and and ugh, ugh. yeah, it's so it's so effective. But yeah, no, I made the I made that note because like yeah, I was watching this and multiple times. They use it, di- and it's different kind of drum beats or rhythm beats, or they use different instruments to make it. But like every time, it sounds like a heartbeat, and it just sits there in the background. Like it, it doesn't do anything; it doesn't build; it doesn't, but it just sits there. Boom, 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 boom. And it's and it's so wild how well that builds the tension. I don't remember much of like I don't remember much of a score or a soundtrack to this movie, but those sound effects were so effective. And I will say this, the 70s knew how to use sound, whether that be a score or a soundtrack or a sound effect or anything. Now that you say that, I don't remember any music. I just, that, just, just that weird, just that weird, the, 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 the boat playing Amazing Grace, which, which, uh, <laughs> which, you know, it it's supposed to be kind of hopeful, but also, you know, it still kind of comes off kind of creepy. Right. Oh, the Amazing Grace can sound very creepy if you wanted to, but yeah, like there, yeah, there's not a lot of sound use, and I think that's why that like heartbeat rhythm that they use when they do have sound is so effective because it comes because that's the only thing that they use, and it it oh it just builds the tension so well. And every movie we've covered in the '70s in this pod in the main stage podcast, it uses the sound very well. I think the lack of music cues and needle drops is also just is part of the reason that it is claustrophobic for me. Cause like I couldn't I couldn't figure it out. And now that you said that, like I'm used to it being like, oh, here's a song or oh, here's some underscoring. And this is like here's some straight up dialogue and some breathing and some shadows. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, this is let me breathe, let me out. Um, it was very much Buffy beating her way out of the box of the top <laughs> of season of six. <laughs> like uh, the sound that yeah, it's just and yeah, and the breathing they do they do use that weird like raspy breathing like <sighs> a lot. And, I th- and I think that they they used kind of a similar sound in uh, and you know and I put this in my own notes and you can't not compare this these two movies they use it in the thing where mm-hmm. like particular a particularly notable example would be right before Norris's chest opens up mm-hmm. you can hear that sort of like gives otherworldly sort of intake of breath like yeah okay here it comes and then like you know all hell breaks loose and and mm-hmm. yeah it's so it's really it's just so well done i'm happy you brought up the thing because the kurt russell version was made after this movie but when this dog with the man's head ran out i was like that's the thing all over again <laughs> <laughs> timeline wise this was first <laughs> yes yes the thing Ooh, we had but well for anyone that's interested on our thoughts specific thoughts on the thing you'll have to subscribe to our patreon <laughs> it, it was the october patreon movie so <laughs> yes and so this yeah. one oh wait it won't be up before that surprise spoiler alert that's what's in october that's what you're going wait well, this yeah. will be after that yeah this comes out so okay. much later <laughs> okay, well, I, won't, I won't talk about it too so much so you that you you know you end up spoiling everything and then no one pays for your patreon we don't want that <laughs> We can skim over it. We can talk about it, but we go into it. We go in to that steaming body, okay? I'm just happy we got to do both of these this season, even though one is on the main feed and one is on the Patreon, because, like, both of them are high-key paranoia, paranoia, everyone's coming to get you. Mm -hmm. And that is is a vibe. (laughs) Right, right. And, Jeannie, I think you you may, in one of your notes, you asked, like, which one do we think is more effective? Yeah, yeah, because I can't pick. I think they both do it you know in in you know equally good but slightly different ways but do you guys mm. have a preference for one or the other i think they're both 
extremely effective. I just I do have a slight preference for this over the thing, and I'll go in, I'll go into more specifics about that in the in the episode that's on our Patreon. So go check it out. But yeah, <laughs> I just, just slightly though, but because the thing is fantastic. I just I absolutely love this movie. I I think that I think that for different lanes, each one wins. Like if we want to talk about like the big overarching group society turning on us, then it's this one, which is how a lot of people feel, especially in this democracy <laughs> where a lot of us don't get a say and people argue over if we even exist as people and if we should have rights. This one fits for that mode. Whereas the thing fits more for like a close knit situation. So like when your friends turn against you or start turning against you, who can you trust in your friend circle when you're not the outsider? And so I think that's, I, I know it's a cop out, but I think that depending on what I'm in the mood for, do I want like a big group <laughs> distrust, mistrust, don't trust your neighbors, every man for himself? Or do I want to, the last of us, I'm not werewolves. Yeah, it is werewolves. It is werewolves. That's the card game, werewolves. Mm -hmm. Where you're trying to figure out who's the werewolf and who's the seer and all that jazz. Right, right. So yeah, it's like one is one is high school insular <laughs> sitcom and <laughs> one is big hour drama West Wing. And it's no surprise that I prefer the big hour drama West Wing version. <laughs> I have an aesthetic, y'all. Yeah. Even got the tears in the bell bottoms. <laughs> yes, yes. And I did, and here's my one criticism of the movie. My, when it's small, it's very minor. I do think this movie could have shaved off 15, maybe 20 minutes, and okay. it would have been strong. Yeah, I, I think it spent... A lot of time developing the the friendship, sort of almost romance between uh, Matthew and Elizabeth. Like but this he never was believable though. Like even in the end, when he's like kissing her by and like trying to protect her, I was like, "Are you what?" <laughs> I mean, I mean, he obviously has feelings for her. I, I I think that she, you know, likes him enough. And I mean, when he's kissing her goodbye, I think it's just because you know, well, we might never see each other again. And and you know, I think it's just you know a a, a dramatic moment. But you know, yeah, I. I it's just, you know, the, the thing about horror movies is, you know, they don't spend a lot of time developing the characters and, 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 you know, sometimes it to, it's to its detriment and sometimes you're just like, yeah, let's just get right into things. And, you know, this, this probably did a little more of it than it needed to, but generally speaking, I think it worked for it. It's another issue that comes up when people adapt things from like novels because a novelist can do all those things that people will like stick there for chapters and chapters of backstory and exposition. But when you do a movie, you, people are like, uh, I don't care. Show me the, show me the pods, show me the body snatching. And so, yeah. Plus Elizabeth. Um, so that's kind of my critique is Elizabeth. Um, the way she's written, like she has no survival instincts, even though she was the first to figure out something's wrong. But she figures it out and then keeps staying at the house with the boyfriend she can't trust. <laughs> um, she keeps wanting to go to sleep after they tell her, if you go to sleep, you're a pod person. She also has this thing where she just runs up and hug anybody that they've just like rediscovered. And he's like, no, we don't know them. Like a little child who's lost at sea. And I'm like, when will you learn? You can't trust anybody. Stop yelling and trying to throw your arms around these possible aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Also, after being told, if you show no emotion, you'll be fine amongst them. She screams at the dog head man situation. And I'm just like, you had one job. It was to not get made. And you were like, ah. And yeah, I mean, I would have, I, 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 too. I would have too. I mean, you know, yeah. scre screamed or vomited or, or, right? or something. Like I would have react. I would have had to react in some way. And I, if that was her only offense, I would have been fine with it. But because of the list of offenses, I could write a whole essay on why she was failed as a woman in this movie. Um, and it's, again, it's because yeah. like the second that the men figure out that it's wrong too, we don't need her anymore. And that's sad that that's the way it was written. Well, and it's very, it's interesting the way that they introduce these characters because you kind of had the opposite situation happening with um, Nancy and Jack, the people that own the, the bathhouse, right? Because Nancy's the one that's like, she's getting it. They're aliens. They're here mm -hmm. to take over the world, blah, blah, blah. And Jack is the, is the, is the well, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> the Jeff Goldblum character. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here to be sexy. Uh, <laughs> <And what> <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mission accomplished, but, and I do love. Mission was possible. And I do. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I do love that in the end, the last person we see that is not that is still herself is Nancy. Yeah, and I think that's really that's a really fun kind of turn because she's the she's the final girl, quote unquote. Mm, for a few seconds, I'm happy you brought up her and Jack because her and Jack are mirroring Elizabeth and Matthew, and that the lady is saying something is wrong and the man is not believing her, which is an ongoing issue every day, always. Um, and when the men are like, oh, I believe you, Nan, then the women sort of get like shoved to the side. I'm like, but she was the one who figured out something was wrong. <laughs> Why can't we keep her and let her drive this? But it's like, oh no, the men are here. And so yeah. that's, I, I think that's part of the reason why I hate how Elizabeth transitions after Matthew's like, oh, I see it now. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that brings me to another point in that I do think it's interesting and possibly, hopefully intentional that it always seems to be women who who remark upon and notice that something is off, whether about, you know, the world around them or their partners. Because it's not just Elizabeth. You have this scene in the bookstore, uh, which, which mm-hmm. we introduced to Leonard Nimoy's character, who is kind of the main villain. Uh, as it turns out i mean it's you know he's just he's possessed he didn't orchestrate everything he's just been taken by these you know already been taken by these pod people but i look about the his self he's a self-help writer which i think is which i think is is great but this woman approaches him she's very upset and and you know oh yeah my husband's not my husband and and you know i know there's something wrong and everybody just kind of looking at her like oh get a load of this you know nut bag you know bothering his man and, and he's being very gentle but also being kind of condescending with her and like yes i know i know and and but you know it's i i feel like this is purposeful that it's mostly women noticing these changes first and that you know it and how men are let's look let's you know you specifically say you know, heterosexual men tend to be traditionally very bad and noticing changes in their partner, whether it's something as as you know, superficial as you know they got their hair cut or or they lost ten pounds or something, they don't notice that, and also may not notice until it becomes a problem that you know they're dealing with some emotional issues. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like if that's not on purpose, it's pretty great anyway. And if it is on purpose, it's extraordinarily clever. And yeah. I, I I agree, and I do think it's interesting that. Other than, well, even Matthew to an extent, every man in this movie is very, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Men. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> Patron, they're, very, patroni- they're patronizing. Well, I, I was going to say self-centered. Like, especially, well, yeah. with, especially Jeff in the beginning. Like, she yeah. comes home, he has headphones on, doesn't even realize that she's home. She's trying to have a conversation with him. And he just, like, waves her over and, like, tries to manhandle her essentially on the couch while he still has his headphones on he's not even interested in hearing anything she's got going on he's so enhanced you know entranced by this basketball i think it was basketball i don't know i don't do sports ball some sports ball (laughs) game going on the tv but he's so invested into that he has no room to even look at what's going on with his girlfriend or wife and i think that that's true for almost every even matthew and uh, jeff goldblum's character too to an extent is that they're just very self they're they're you know they've got the blinders on and it's just about what they want how they want to get it and it's, yeah. the men are very much about the me and the women are about the we which is why the women are like what had happened and right. the men are like ah no shenanigans because like when we when we see matthew and elizabeth interact for the first time it's on a phone call when he's making her come in early to work and she's like i don't want to come in early and he's like but this 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 and this and i'm like people will be getting food poisoning no matter what time she comes in because you're not gonna shut it down tomorrow so just let her come in when she comes in Look. <laughs> right right the rat shit will still be there listen and it will still be rat shit it's not going to change overnight it's not a pumpkin and cinderella you See, that makes me wonder if the donald said if matthew was that toxic like i gotta have her so i'm calling her in to be with you know what i mean like i I do feel like they are a work couple because you have yeah. people who have their work spouse and sometimes that there is a line that gets a little bit 
muddied. Muddied, and yeah. I think that they do have that. I think that she might never leave this man. This man would have to leave her. But I think that should something happen, she would be like, hey, yo, Matthew, you want to come over to my house if I have it still? <laughs> and that would be the right. next <laughs> Can I come over to your house? Right. right? Me and my show. things are outside. Um, <laughs> <your time. laughs> but again, like we we don't get to we don't really get to see a whole lot of that because they she's written to do the thing. And then when yeah. she's passed the message on to him, she's written to be a woman who cries a lot and has bad intentions. <laughs> no survival instinct. Yeah. We, we, Nightmare on Elm Street has so many final girls who are like, I got to stay awake. And this grown woman couldn't do that or put on flats. Yeah, that's true. true. It's like, just run, just run your bare feet. I mean, you, oh, you know, <laughs> but, but I will say, as someone who never wears heels, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for anyone who can run in heels. Now, granted, they're not like stilettos. I didn't know this. They're like chunky heels. So she's not running on like six-inch stilettos. That would have been even more impressive. I, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still spraining my ankle. I think I'm still blown out <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Like, I will run in whatever I need to run in if I have to run because I don't believe in running. But if I feel like <laughs> I'm so threatened, I'm going to. Whatever I'm wearing, I'm wearing. But she literally, because, like, she was at his house. Yeah, and there, she were, puts there on was a time. She could have she puts on heels, which she did not leave her house when he carried her out. So I'm like, these are a choice. You were like, we got aliens popping off, possibly. Let me I put on some heels. Look good. Right? If our new overlords <laughs> see me in flats, oh, no, they're not sure I am. Which... Like, <laughs> if you don't put on some sneakers. <laughs> but yeah, and so he was always being slowed down by her, which is another trope I see. Because like, women would wear heels no matter what. It's the end of the world. I like they don't. And I'm like, but it's the end of the world if she do. Right. What did the other girl have on? Do you remember? Did she have heels on too? I don't think we got to see Nancy's feet. But I assume because Nancy made it all the way out there and she had switched shoes at some point. Or, or smaller heels, maybe. I don't know. Heels are not easy to walk in, let alone run in. I'm just going to put that out there. I picture Nancy to be like, you know, like the kind of practical woman who wears like, you know, Birkenstocks or something like that. Like, because yeah. she's on her, she's on her feet for, for, you know, her job all day. She's giving big dudes massages and, and like, you know, swatting them down with a leaf and all. And then, you know, it you, you can't be standing on your on heels all day on that. Do you remember that the line that Jeff Goldblum has where they're digging through the mud to find? It's like Nancy one time had a, an elderly woman who had a heart attack and he fell into the mud. Just slipped, into, slipped into the mud. But also when he put his hands in that tub of mud, I was like, this thing wants to touch you and you're shoving your hands in something you can't see. Are you serious? <laughs> Meanwhile, the trash truck is outside this window that's open at night. And like, how late do your trash trucks run? Right. I do love that when you after you get body snatched, your your original body just turns to like dust, like and not even like like Buffy Vampire Slayer dust, like the dust bunnies up. that you find under your like couch. That's what you turn into. Uh, yeah, that scene where uh, she uh, where Elizabeth has already been uh, has already been turned, and, and he's like holding her, and she just kind of crumbles, and he just like makes that little uh, 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 sound, and like and it's like so creepy. Yeah. No, again, like I, it was so visually cool, and I, I miss practicals. When I see a movie with practicals, I automatically fall in love, um, even if it's just with the practicals. I'm like, I don't know what this movie's about, and I don't know why it needs to be made. But thank you for these. <laughs> well, and even like the the very intro of the movie when you're watching like these weird amorphous like, they're supposed to be like flower things, and it's kind of like it. When you were a kid, you had those like. Yeah, when you like turned them and they like changed colors and stuff. The things, the fingers, because you're using eyes, and I don't know about the eye one, but I know about the fingers one, where it's like, how many whatevers till the whatever. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. No, I'm talking about you'd have you buy these, like uh, telescopes or whatever. Kaleidoscopes. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And that's what it looked like. And it was just so pretty. And then to have that juxtaposed with like the rest of this movie. But I will say, when she brought home the little like, small version of the flower i was like oh that's a pretty little little rosebud thing but look how it turned out double take look a strange flowers then home they, then they start birthing full adults <laughs> that is a metaphor if you bring home the wrong person you get <laughs> offspring you don't want 
and they take over your life. <laughs> you know what? I mean, I what I really love most about this movie is with a few tweaks to the script, uh, you could easily make the exact same movie today, and it would and it would still feel as relevant as ever. And it could be said anywhere, as a lot of movies yep. have shown us, because I keep ripping it off. <laughs> yeah, this could be. We we talk about this was. A bunch of films. This could be a really fun stage adaptation. It could be. I, I'm kind of like downscaling in my head. It can be. I know it can be. You have yeah. to really down. You have to downscale it to like the level of Night of the Living Dead, where they're like a family is stuck in a house, and it's like who got turned kind of thing. That's what I'm thinking. Kind of like a werewolf within, but with body snatching instead of a werewolf. Right. Exactly. I think it could yeah. be done. It could be done. It could be done. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for hot takes? Let's do it. Let's get spicy. Okay. Um, mine has been said as usual. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love the claustrophobic feel, but I think some of that is some 70-isms that pull focus a little bit every once in a while. But also it's too long, which is another 70-ism. And it's the one that's the most unforgivable. <laughs> yeah, it is a little too long, unfortunately. Uh, like I said, that, that is my only real critique. But um, So my hot take will be, I think, I'm trying, I'm... I'm Thinking back in my head just to make sure that I'm correct in this. While every movie we've covered in the, in our 70s mainstay has done a really good job of making really cool practical effects, I think this one had the most challenge and succeeded in that challenge with, with its practicals. I can't think of another one that we covered that did that in, on the main feed. I'm trying to think because we've done, we've done Blackula, we've done The Changeling, Mm-hmm. We've done Ganjin Hess. Mm-hmm. We've done The Brood. The Brood may be the only one that I might have pushback on, but that juicy baby. That juicy baby was very juicy. <laughs> but this had plants giving birth to adults. You know what? I'm gonna make a Patreon poll. <laughs> I'm gonna make a Patreon poll. So ask the patrons, which is which is the better practical effect, the juicy baby? <laughs> and a little or the, or or the, the hairy adult with the Listen. weird fibers on his body. Uh, I want to know. These are important questions. Hard-hitting <laughs> questions. But yeah, I just, again, we've said this all the time. The practicals are the way to go. I think that sometimes, maybe this is the hot take. Filmmakers, uh, and I don't say all filmmakers, because that's not true. But like a lot of filmmakers today are lazy. Practicals age better on film than the CGI because CGI once you see on the big screen once it's done because by the time it's on DVD there's something better out and you're like oh we really watched that last month Ugh. Yeah. and so <laughs> let me let me rephrase a lot of film directors that work in main big budget Hollywood you know you know who I'm talking about are lazy because a lot of the smaller like self uh, self-produced self-done filmmakers have to figure out when are practicals effective and when can I use CGI to make practicals more effective. And I think that if we had more of that happening in Hollywood, it would make our big budget Hollywood movies even better. A lot of indie filmmakers can't afford CGI, so it's all going to be practical or it's got to be insinuated. Or something, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, because like... uh, they got to be creative. Because they're going to scare me. They had to use sound and a couple of like props. They couldn't be all like, let's see a werewolf. Not with that budget. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I just wish a lot of big budget horror, not just not just horror, big budget movies in Hollywood were as creative or creatively made as they were in the seventies and other times in the past. I was thinking of the Wizard of Oz and all of mm-hmm. how that was done by hand and how mm-hmm. it still looks magical today. And then I think of movies that came out two years ago. I'm like, oh, this is what you did. <laughs> <laughs> Your green exactly. screen is showing. <laughs> exactly. So that's my hot take. Um, I'm going to elaborate a little bit on my take that with a few mm-hmm. tweaks, you could easily make the exact same movie today. But I would like to see the character, the, the Matthew character, his sort of role toned down a bit in it and make it more from the perspective of... Elizabeth or any female character and kind of, you know, spending it. The, 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 one of the best scenes for me is when she's just kind of going around the city and just see how much has changed. 
mm-hmm. and and just you know realizing that the amount of people that she can trust is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and i i would like to see it done sort of in a day in the life kind of thing and you know having her wonder you know is this really happening am i imagining this you know just sort of dealing with the paranoia of being you know a person a woman you know what have you you know, in the world as it is today when you don't know you know is it you know and you could bring a little bit of pandemic rhetoric into it particularly with how you can you can you know the you know the, the real life horror of you you can give covid to somebody not have any symptoms of it yourself and they could die from it and and mm-hmm. you just you just don't know so you could bring a lot of real life elements into it but also not change much of the core plot of this movie and it would work that's that's what i was kind of thinking of because i remember so when covid got real scary i had to get i had to be brought back really from my trip overseas because i finally got to leave the country so i was in france living my best life and they were like we won't have flights after tuesday you need to come home now and i was like i don't want to <laughs> but i came home like a fool baby and I had to stay with my friend in New York for a day because like I wasn't, I my flight to Chicago was leaving for another like day or two. And like seeing New York not be New York was terrifying. It was very much an apocalypse. Oh yeah, and, I, I, live, I live here. So yeah, I stayed here yeah. the whole time. And it, it is one of the most bizarre unsettling experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. And you're like, well, maybe it's just because it's New York and they're just shutting it down. And like, it's just like a weird day. And so I I went back to Chicago and it was also a different world. And so I'm always telling people that I feel like me and that group of playwrights I was hanging out with in that mansion have to have a level of shared PTSD (laughs) because (laughs) you leave and you come back and things are different. And now we're in this supposedly new normal, um, but it's still different. And so it's like, where was my life? from before times <laughs> now because the people who were like in their homes they sort of had like a moment to prepare and like get ready whereas most of us were like out and about in a different time zone waking up to like all these calls and like text messages and our airports canceling flights and we're like whoa and so i i would love to see this with like a woman leading it and maybe play into some of these like not COVID specifically, but something of that nature that we can all sort of wrap our minds around. Yeah, I think that would be exciting and fun, and I would pay to see it. Oh, well, for real, for sure. I That would be really cool. All right. Well, that is our thoughts on the invasion of the body snatchers. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gina, for joining us. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> it was so fun. Next week, we'll be covering Salem's Lot with Sean Brian Liang. We love Ooh. him here. We love Sean. <laughs> and that's going to continue our not Back to the Future, not that 70s throwback, <laughs> not the disco era, whatever we are going to finish the calling this month because it's our last 70s movie. Ah! It is. <laughs> for this year. It, it, for this year. It has been a blast being in the 70s. We got one more trip down the rabbit hole to the past. We'll see how that goes. And we're giving it to Uncle Steven because it's October and people would throw a chair if we didn't give him something. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But again, thank you so much, Gina. Thank you everyone for listening. And as always, make sure you stay fierce out there. Mm, Bye.